Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back to Drive with Peter Vlahos on this uh, wet sort of Wednesday afternoon. But don't worry, it's going to get better from tomorrow and we'll have a hint of uh, spring weather come the weekend. Of course, spring then rolls into summer and, of course, all of a sudden the round ball game gets very exciting because the A-League gets underway and we have the World Cup happening, as we know, in the middle of November. Now, a man that I could really talk a long time with, but uh, we've only got a certain period of time, is Craig Foster, known as Fozzie, you know, former footballer, human rights advocate, uh, sports presenter. He's done a lot of things in his life, but I thought I'd get him on uh, the program today to have a chat about uh, his number one passion, and that is, of course, uh, the world game. Fozzie, thanks for your time. Yeah, it's always good to uh, talk to you, Pete. And, of course, you're a football pedigree, if you like. That's back a very, very long time. <laughs> I know you were, you, you were doing some stuff with Les and Johnny, the two great legends. So yeah. it's always good to chat. It's amazing, really. And I look back to those days, and uh, I, remember, yeah. I remember going to Uruguay, actually, Montevideo, and in the early wow. 2000s, and called the game... Uh, back on the uh, then radio network, back to Australia, myself, yeah, Johnny yeah. Warren, and would you believe Clinton Gribus? And uh, sometimes wow. that you realise out of those three, then the only one that's still alive on this planet. <laughs> so there's a real mortality yeah. about oh, things like true. that. And you've been involved in the game well, for a long time, and you would have met some real personalities in that time. Oh yeah, and of course those two legends, Johnny had the you know had the privilege and pleasure of working with them, knowing them, and being and being you know really great friends. So. Uh, for all of us, and that includes yourself, who had the, the pleasure of working with them and knowing them, you know, they're very, very fond memories. Yeah. You're still involved in football. I don't think you could ever not be involved with football, and currently you're doing some great work with Stan Sport. You enjoying that? Mm. Yeah, I love that, yeah. Look, I've, as you say, I'm always going to be around the game, helping the game, you know, whatever people need and, and pretty much whenever they ask. I do a lot of Indigenous football. So I work with, I'm the patron of the Indigenous Roos and Koalas, which are the two Indigenous-led, what they consider their national teams. Uh, and they play a few times a year. They play national championships and then they get together. That's been pretty special to, to see that build and grow. And we want to see them, you know, supported by the game and uh, and leading the Indigenous game. You know, we, we had the launch of a new Indigenous Football Council recently. You know, my good mate Goodsy, Adam Goods is on mm, it. And mm. I stand Grant, yeah, and Tracy Holmes and... Uh, and a whole range of people, um, uh, and Danny Townsend, who's, of course, the, is, uh, you know, the head of the APL. So it's really, you know, so, so there's some good steps happening there, and, and, I, and I do the Champions League and Europa League with uh, the great uh, Mark Bosnich uh, and Max Rustin. We love working together and, and covering the best football in the world. It's beautiful. Yeah. Saying that, we see the impact that Indigenous footballers have in Australian rules football and, and the mm. National Rugby mm. League. What are your thoughts on where it sits uh, in relation to the world game? Yeah, well, it's horrible. It's horrendous. It's terrible um, and it's embarrassing, you know, what, what the game's done over so many decades. Um, you know, that's been admitted by the game you know, a bunch of times. The successive CEOs come in and just say, look, we haven't done a good job. But to date, you know, that's still continuing. What's happened is in, in the absence of the game having a really 
you know, first their great commitment, a solid commitment to First Nations and then being able to work with them and empower them. Uh, there's been some great external kind of programs which are Indigenous-led, which to me is much more important. So I think the future of Indigenous sport, if you like, is the, this, this issue of self-determination. You said I was a human rights activist, which I am, and one of the rights that Indigenous peoples have around the world is the, is the right to be included and, um, and to have a say in their own destiny. And, you know, that's what the Uluru Statement's all about. That's what um, the Indigenous Roos and Koala's about. It's what the Indigenous Football Council's about. So I'd like to see the model turned around where Indigenous Australia says to Football Australia, for example, look, we're, you know, we're, we're bringing our own culture. We're bringing our own decisions. Um, you know, we have our own view of how the game's played. And what we want to do is we'll work with you. And, um, but, you know, we, we deserve a share of the national funding. Um, and, you know, we'll run our own programs for our kids. We'll run our own national championships. And, and you know, that, in my view, is the way to go. Yeah, it's interesting. We're not, it's almost now 50 years since uh, Harry Williams was the first Aboriginal Socceroo. We yeah. mentioned Johnny yeah. Warren uh, in uh, the introduction, of course. He played with yeah. Johnny in the 1974 World Cup. And so exactly. you're saying there hasn't been a great progression in half a century. Well, no, it's absolutely shocking. I mean, um, you know, we don't have a national program, so there's no Indigenous round um, in Australian football. I think in part because, you know, the game is kind of embarrassed that, you know, it hasn't done enough. Um, and so there's now some steps by Football Australia to, you know, they're, they're, they're getting their first reconciliation action plan, you know. Um, we're a bit late to the party as a game, but at least that's coming. And, you know, they've got some plans to try and bring it up. The big, The big issue is... You know who's who has responsibility to do that, and I think the old model of well, um, let's face it, a largely non-indigenous, so a largely white-led game says, well, we're going to do these programs for you, get some government funding, and here you go, has to be turned around, mm. uh, and that whole conversation's turned around. People are realising that you have to involve First Nations, that they have the right to do it in the way that they wish, that they want their elders involved. And, and so that's wonderful. I think they have a right to say we're entitled to, you know, a small percentage um, of what the national game is and we're going to empower our own kids and we're going to do it for our own communities. And that, that to, in my view, is, is the model going forward for, for um, you know, self-determination and, and reconciliation and having all of those conversations is about empowering First Nations. I'll give you an example. So Indigenous Roos... Uh, is their, you know, their, what they consider their national team um, that comes out of the national championships with 40 or 50 different nations who play in it. And uh, they didn't have a coach. You know, had Frank Farina, who's part Indigenous, or who is Indigenous, and um, and he couldn't be there. So they wanted me to coach the team. And I said to him, I'm not, I will take the team, but you cannot put me down as the coach. Because in my view, your national team should always be coached by a First Nations pe- person. And if you don't have one, I'll help. I'll help you build it. I'll find funding for you. We'll enable your people, um, you know, because I've had opportunity. We've all had opportunities that you haven't. And it's time we gave you those opportunities, not took them for ourselves. Mm. Well, you played professionally for a good decade and a half. And, of course, you played for the Socceroos and you captained the Socceroos Mm -hmm. as well, Craig. So Mm -hmm. looking at the Socceroos now as they prepare to head to Qatar and partake Mm -hmm. in the World Cup, how do you see the national team? Well, the Qatar World Cup itself is, you know, is is a real challenge because of what's happened there. You know, you've had a lot of harm, you know, go on. There's been a lot of controversy over 10 years. You know, the players are going to go there from right around the world and protest, and rightly so. We've got issues with migrant workers dying and all that stuff. So, 
you know, the older I get, that's as much a focus as the football itself for me because I want to see the game conduct itself properly. I don't want to see the game, you know, bring harm to countries where the World Cup goes, for example. So the players of the day, um, you know, will talk about it, and rightly so. They can't turn a blind eye, but I think it's former players like myself that has a greater responsibility to speak out on and actually do something about it. Um, where the team is at the moment is a marvellous effort to get through. Um, you know, they were, if you like, certainly not favourites. They hadn't been playing well over at least a 12-month period or so, and Saudi and, and Japan have been doing better than us. So there was a lot of, uh, if you like, scepticism. I just think, you know, a lack of confidence from the fans that, you know, they were going to make it. Um, of course, you never underestimate Australian national teams. That just goes without saying. Um, but their performances didn't, you know, didn't inspire confidence. But they went into the two games against UAE and uh, Peru in particular and just did absolutely brilliantly. Graham Arnold made some great decisions. He changed things in his team. Uh, he changed defensively a little bit to, to uh, um, just provide a bit more solidity. And, of course, he made that hugely courageous decision to bring Andrew Redemain on in his third cap. You know, for you know, for Matty Ryan, the captain, and and you know, a legend and highly experienced player, and he brought on the second keeper for the penalty shootout. I thought it was beautiful because it showed that he was relying both on his staff, his goalkeeping coach, and on his full squad. And I see it as very Australian because the only way that we're going to get to the very top where we aspire to, and where Les and Johnny believed we could is by using our whole squad, by being innovative, by making those big decisions, by analysing the game better than anyone. We need to be smarter. And that's not easy in the world game because, mm. you know, you see how many countries are fantastic. So it was a good step. Um, we want the team to go, you know, every world... This is a fifth consecutive and sixth for the men only. Um, and then what that means is each time we, we want to go further than the last. That's the objective. So they, they, we want them to get out of the group. Um, that's a very big task in, in what's a quite difficult group. But that is the objective. Um, that's what the country has to be seeking to achieve. So it's up to Graham to find a way to, to, uh, to do so. We're not purely making up numbers, Craig. Do you think we can be more than nuisance value? Um, look, what they showed against Peru is that when they have the right um, tactical plan... Um, and, you know, and they're in a good position, and we had Aaron Moy, and we had our top players, only Tommy Rogic was out, basically. So, you know, when, as long as we can get everyone fit there and Graham can come up with the right plans against the opponents, and that's important for Australia. You know, we're not, at the moment, I believe it will be someday, but we're not France, so, you know, we don't have um, Kylian Mbappe. You know, we don't have, in the women's we do, we've got incredible Sam Kerr. I think she's going to be announced as the number one player in the world. But uh, in the men, no. So we're still building in that regard. So we need to be more clever. We need to understand their game. We need to stop them and be able to exploit them. So, you know, the the technical side of the game is incredibly important. Um, nothing's impossible. You know, look, France, for example, they won the 98 World Cup um, and they went to 2002 and were an absolute flop. Um, they then went to 2010 and they basically self-combusted um, and, uh, you know, it was a total disaster. So... Uh, 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 teams who are so reigning champions in the subsequent World Cup very often are very poor for whatever reason. Mm. Right? Perhaps it's hubris, you know. Perhaps it's um, you know they've been living you know they've been living off the reputation for the last four years. So you never take anything for granted at World Cup level. But the ultimate objective is for us to continue to grow and build and get better every four years, and with the view and the and the great worthy aim of one day being able to win it.
Amazing. You mentioned Sam Kerr. Uh, we have the World Cup, of course, in Qatar, the Men's World Cup, and then the Women's World Cup here in Australia in 2023. Yeah. And you said that she could be announced as the number one player yeah. in the world. Not bad for a little lass that came from the southern uh, suburbs of Perth and where she has gone and carried really women's football here in Australia on her shoulders. Incredible, yeah. And look, and she's also stood on the shoulders of, you know, many great legends before her that came. You know, let's always acknowledge that. Cheryl Salisbury and all those who didn't have the same opportunities. Uh, you know, each generation should, um, you know, stand on stand on you know, what the, the one before had, had done for them. And so Sam's aware of that. Uh, look, I hope that Australia really realises because, you know, we're not... It's still not the number one sport here, right? So do we really understand that if Sam Kerr is acknowledged in, in only a couple of months as the Ballon d'Or female winner, that as the number one football female footballer in the world, like how extraordinary that actually mm. is? That, act, that may never be... She was number three last year. She's certainly going to be number two, in my view. And because she was so brilliant at Chelsea this year, she won titles and she was top scorer again. The only person that could possibly beat her is one of the English Lionesses, the national team who won the Euros recently. Yep. And um, I'm not sure if the voting was stopped because I don't vote in anymore. Perhaps the voting was already stopped. If it was and that didn't count, she's won it already. The only person, maybe one of them, because that's a big thing, you know, they won a historic event. That's the only possibility we got someone to, to beat her because last year the, the girl from Barcelona, uh, Alexia Puteas, um, she didn't play in that. She didn't have a particularly good season. So in my view, it's Sam hands down. And that's, a, that's an historic achievement that we actually may not, um, we may not replicate for many, many, many decades. That's actually how brilliant Sam Curry is. Just amazing. And thank goodness there's no AFLW team uh, when Sam Kerr was looking at a, a career path when it came to sport yeah, because of, a, a, of course, a father and her brother being involved in Australian rules footy. Exactly. Craig, yeah. um, as I said, we could talk for hours. Can I ask you, yeah. I don't think I've ever seen an English Premier League side or certainly season start the way it's happened with Manchester United no. and Liverpool not winning a game. Uh, in the first two rounds. What's happening at United? Because, of course, you play oh. at Crystal Palace and at Portsmouth, so yeah. you understand the English psyche when it comes to this. Yeah. This is a big story in the UK. Oh, it's big. It's big. It, um, they've been a mess for some years, Manchester United, of course. And when Louis van Gaal couldn't sort them out, highly experienced, and Mourinho in particular... Um, you know, who's had success everywhere he's gone, you know that there's something that's not right within the club because it's not down only to the coach. That's a fact. But what's, what we've seen in the last couple of years is basically just a total lack of strategy. So they just, they're lurching from one disaster to the next. And last year when they got rid of Solskjaer, who I think had reached his ceiling, they ha it was clear that they hadn't planned someone beyond him. So then they were under pressure, and then they decided to go get Ralph Rangnick, which to me was a totally crazed appointment. And I'll tell you why, is because he was the architect behind Mines and then uh, Klopp at Dortmund, who he trained um, and who followed him as a coach, and then Leipzig in particular. And football fans who've watched the, the Bundesliga know that those are, uh, particularly Leipzig, where he, he was the overseer. Rangnick's football is the most intense um, in terms of running, in terms of pressing and getting the ball back. It's all about physical work and playing as forward as quickly as possible and as few as passes. Well, that's not Manchester United, and that's certainly not the players they have now. So they brought in a guy 
that the way he coaches and sees the game is totally opposite to the bunch of players they have because Cristiano Ronaldo is not going to do that. It's impossible. Mm. So now what they've done is brought Ten Hag, who is like second to him. He's not, a, he's not far off. And Ten Hag is very clear on the way he wants to play football. And Cristiano Ronaldo cannot participate in that. He doesn't want to. He does not want to, at his age, run around and chase everyone and try and get the ball back all the time. You know, he just wants to be in front of goal. So there's a disconnect there uh, about who they've got as personnel and who they're signing as coach. Now, I've got to say, I think Ten Hag's brilliant. I, I actually think he's the right signing. Um, but it's clear that his football is so far advanced on what they've been playing that they're really struggling to get there. I, I'm surprised. I thought he was going to do much better than this. But, I mean, they've got Liverpool next. So this is like... You know, this is total disaster <laughs> for Manchester United fans. And everyone else is laughing around the world. But um, there's something wrong in the club. And I think part of it is this, you know, kind of players having um, a path perhaps to the owners or, you know, the club is just not well run. They've spent over a billion pounds in the last, I'm not sure, 10 years on players. Uh, and they're so far off the mark, it's not even funny. Yeah, amazing. Uh, Craig, it's always a pleasure. Thanks for uh, taking our yep. call and having a chat. I really That's enjoyed it, mate. We'll uh, keep connected, yeah. and uh, good luck uh, regarding the Champions League coverage on uh, Stan as well. Thanks, Peter. Appreciate it. Good on you, Craig Foster. Thanks for joining us. Interesting also regarding Manchester United. Elon Musk, the world's richest man, sent uh, footy fans worldwide into meltdown. Uh, he went on Twitter the world's richest man, and after initially talking politics when he tweeted, to be clear, I support the left half of the Republican Party and the right half of the Democratic Party, he then went on to say, also, I'm buying Manchester United. You're welcome. Now, there were 200,000 likes within a couple of hours when he posted that, and then he said, nah, nah, I'm only kidding. I'm only joking. So Elon Musk there saying his bit. Now, I mentioned about uh, Gene Simmons and Kiss. Uh, he looks like being a uh, guest at the Carlton Collingwood match. It's just good to be home. It really feels like that to us. And if they're playing, maybe catch a game by the, uh, maybe catch a game by the Blues. You never know. You're a Carlton fan. Well, you got to watch Gene Simmons' family jewels and see the whole story. They'll tell you. Now, how do you know I that? I didn't know that because I suppose... They've got, a big, they've got a big match this weekend, actually. They could do with your support, Gene. Don't start something you're not going to finish. We, we might be there. You might be at the Carlton might, game. Might be. An yeah. exclusive. Yes, he's got the touch. And I'll leave you with this. Have a great night. I'll see you tomorrow night from 5 here on SENWA. 